0: Today, on NAIPR, we'll be discussing the continuation of how to make the WWE a healthier, more kid-friendly environment. Kane will be coming back from his Hawaiian vacation with a slight change in name and a leafy green outfit. It's the big vitamin and mineral machine, Kale, live in studio to share some late summer recipes. Also... Should Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt be given on-air doses of Ritalin so we can actually understand what they're saying when they speak? Dr. Zipak has a special report. All this and much more today on NAIPR. But first, this podcast. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And now, this is The Neighborhood Podcast, with New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, D.C. Matthews. Welcome to The Neighborhood Podcast. My name is D.C. Matthews, and I am the Commissioner in Staff of the New Age Insiders, the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, buy t-shirts, and to be heard. You can find me on Twitter, at DC Matthews NAI, along with the rest of the New Age Insiders and our team, which keeps getting bigger and better. For those of you who have spent the last year or so too involved in your own love geometry to be paying attention, the New Age Insiders are Jason, I don't think one-man podcasts are any good, thereby inadvertently breaking the heart of my chief of staff, Maltov, at New Age Insiders. Just kidding, Jason. Liam, I was too bachelor-partied out to listen to anything but Love Rhombus, Stryker, at Liam, NAI, and Bill, the producer of Thugonomics Neville, at Bill Neville, NAI. We have a website, and you should be going to it, because it is your one-stop shop for everything wrestling. You want news? You got news. Thanks to our newest team member, Brandon McIntyre at Brandon Mac NAI. You want to read or write articles? You can do both of those things, and for most of you, you should be doing both of those things. You want to buy merch or get customized headers? New Age Insiders is the place to be. That's New Age Insiders the true originators in pro wrestling coverage, except no copycats, charlatans, mimics, bamboozlers, hoodwinkers, or substitutes. As you may have noticed, I'm trying some new things here on episode 5 of the Neighborhood Podcast. I got some wise words from Yoda Wyatt himself, Jason Maltov, who encouraged me to try things now while my podcast is in its infancy. This is kind of like kindergarten for me. I'm eating paste, I'm sticking crayons up my nose, I'm pulling the pigtails of the girls on the carpet squares next to me, I'm just trying to figure out where I fit in this wild podcasting world. We have a lot to cover on today's show. We're going to be talking about the NAI draft. I've got some new segments lined up, and there may or may not be a special appearance by one hashtag, healed DC. But before all that... Let's spend the first part of today's podcast talking about another podcast. Meta! When I think about the greatest professional wrestling announcement of all time, I'm not thinking about anything Jim Ross did. No, by God, he's broken in half. No, stone cold, stone cold, stone cold. None of that. My favorite moment was stretched out over an entire match and fans of mine will find no surprise in the fact that it came from the mouth of one Raymond Lewis, called Bobby Heenan. The date was January nineteenth, 1992. The place was the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. The name of the event was the Royal Rumble. This event, the fifth of its kind, was the final rumble before it was decreed that the winner moved on to face the world champion at WrestleMania. For the 1992 Royal Rumble, the title had been held up thanks to some controversial matches between Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker, so the winner of the Battle Royal also won the championship. Not a belt, not a strap, it's a championship. I've written about this before, but this Royal Rumble from 1992 featured a who's who of wrestling superstars, including Shawn Michaels, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, and yes, friends, even the Repo Man. Hashtag Barry Darso. It also featured one nature boy, Ric Flair, who had only recently joined the WWF. Bobby Heenan was, as always, serving as broadcast journalist for this event, but was also an on-camera financial advisor for Ric Flair. Flair entered the Royal Rumble third that year, and if memory serves, Gorilla Monsoon who was the yin to Bobby Heenan's yang, which is why they are, to this podcaster's opinion, the greatest commentary team of all time. Monsoon immediately began ragging on Heenan for his bad luck. In 1992, nobody had ever won the Royal Rumble from such an early number. In fact, nobody in the top ten had ever won it at that point. But for literally two seconds past an hour, 60 minutes and two seconds, Flair competed in the Royal Rumble, and for two seconds over an hour, Bobby Heenan lived and died by everything the Nature Boy did. He cheered, he whined, he celebrated, he complained. He went apoplectic more times than I care to count. The entire event was a conspiracy that wasn't fair to Flair. By the end of the Royal Rumble, it was hard to tell who was more exhausted, the wrestler or the announcer but it was a magical 60-minute moment, one that I will never forget. We haven't had many unforgettable moments in announcing history recently. Heck, we haven't had any, really. Among the myriad topics covered by the NAI Pod trio on Wednesday night was sort of a state of announcing, coming off the heels of that leaked commentary manifesto, which is why I talked about calling it a championship. I was glad to hear that conversation. I've been spending some time thinking about this, especially since I've expanded the number of promotions that I watch each week. The world of wrestling, or should I call it sports entertainment, or I suppose I'm supposed to just call it entertainment, has obviously evolved during my time as a viewer, and announcing is no exception. What bothers me the most about this, and it goes beyond the released documents, are the overt steps WWE brass seem to be taking to hide the fact that wrestling is a contact sport. And, if you ask any wrestler who's ever competed, it hurts. A lot. Not being able to give moves exciting names like a backbreaker is really, to me, just the tip of the iceberg. This goes much deeper. This, in my mind, is really why... There's an entire rationale in WWE that goes against calling the match. Vince or Kevin Dunn or whoever's in charge up there wants to focus on the stories rather than, as Jason Maltoff so eloquently put it, the violence that's being used to solve conflicts. When was the last time an announcer seriously talked about the strategy a wrestler might be applying in a match? Whether it's working over a leg or an arm or a neck. Does that ever even happen anymore? People used to talk about the reason you put an opponent in a chin lock. Cuts off the oxygen and makes your opponent have to use every ounce of strength just to keep breathing. That wears them down for a future finishing move down the road. A sleeper hold used to put pressure on the carotid artery, which caused the victim to slip into unconsciousness. All of these that I consider trademarks of pro wrestling announcing are gone Gone, gone, gone. We're losing the names of the moves. We're losing the description of the moves. And as we've seen recently, in many cases, we're losing the moves themselves. I have legitimate and sincere fears as to what pro wrestling is going to look like a decade from now. Will the wrestlers just do a collar and elbow tie-up and prance around the ring for six or seven minutes, while the announced team gives us nothing but exposition as to this story or, worse yet, a story that doesn't even matter to this particular match? Dark days may lie ahead. I did want to take a minute, though, and talk about each announced team for the four promotions that I watch—WWE, NXT, Lucha Underground, and Ring of Honor. Let's start with NXT. Of all of the groups, this is the team that I notice the least. For some reason, while I'm watching NXT, I'm barely listening to what the announcers are saying. They're not memorable, unless, of course, Kevin Owens is out there. I like Corey Graves. I do. And I think he has a high future. I think he could be a very good professional wrestling announcer. But the NXT broadcasters, to me, are just kind of there. Lucha Underground, I know Liam Stryker's a big fan of Matt Stryker and Vampiro, and I like them fine, but I find them to be a little hit or miss. There are times I love what they're doing, but Matt Stryker, for some reason, seems to be focusing on the same things over and over and over again. I get it, Matt. Luchadors like to create space. You can stop telling me that every five seconds. They're a solid duo, and they're proof that you don't need three guys to do good commentary. In fact, I think the boys on NAI pod discovered it's really quite the opposite. WWE is what it is. There's not a whole lot I want to say about that. I do think that JBL serves as the voice for Vince's snarky comments from the gorilla position. You get that sense that he's really the conduit for which Vince to say what he wants to say, whether it's about the characters or the storyline or the people. I don't usually give Michael Cole a lot of credit, but Beast in the East did show me how good he could be if he wasn't so bogged down. I remember Mick Foley talked about his brief stint as a WWE announcer, and all he talked about was how he would just spent the entire time being screamed at in his headset. That can't be fun. Just for the record, in case you were wondering, my ideal announce team would be Renee Young, The Big Show, and The Miz. Renee would be the one focused on the in-ring action, while Show Miz would be the entertainment. Both are great talkers and less-than-ideal wrestlers, at least in the minds of most of you, so this would work for them both. If you haven't had the chance yet, though, I encourage you to read my column from Tuesday, in which I give a whole lot of credit to the Big Show, Ryback, and Miz segment from Monday Night Raw. Trust me, it was good, you just didn't want to believe it. This brings me to Ring of Honor, and of all the commentary teams, I think these two are my favorite. Which is odd, because I'm not even sure if I like Steve Carino yet. I'm certainly not going to call him king. I do love that he's obviously passionate about the business. And as the leaked documents showed us, passion is important. You have to be a fan. I'm really impressed with Kevin Kelly. I think he does a great job as well, and the two play off each other quite nicely. Much like they said on NAI Pod, when those when the announcers are friends, that translates. I also really like how the wrestlers in Ring of Honor seem to interact with the commentary team a whole lot more. The only time we see WWE wrestlers interacting with the commentary team is if they're doing a guest announcing spot, like Titus O'Neil and Darren Young did on Raw, or if they're breaking their table. But you have wrestlers and managers coming over to talk to Kelly and Carino, And I actually think that's kind of neat. Just for the love of God, Ring of Honor, stop doing the code line. It's 2015. I am not going to dial one 909 9900 to listen to Missy Hyatt interview Tom Zank. I won't do it. Heel DC almost came out there a bit. I'm glad I was able to control him. All right, let's talk about what I'm hoping has been the biggest news and most fun you've had in the neighborhood this week. The NAI Draft. What began as three nerds' fun little thought experiment – sorry, DJ and Adam, but it was kind of nerdy what we did – it's now blossomed into a 24-team, three-draft pool in Dominus Rex of awesomeness. So much so that I needed to take myself out of the draft to focus on management, and I have to tell you, I'm really glad that I did. It's been way more fun watching than being an active participant. I don't have to worry about the rage when someone steals my pick. I've never thrown my phone, Shannon. It's such fun. My sincere thanks to everyone who has been making this draft such a rousing success. I'm recording this episode on Friday. I'm going to be out of town over the weekend. So I won't go too deep into the draft analysis, even though pool draft B is practically almost done. Here are some quick stats just for fun. Over 130 different talents have been selected so far in the NAI draft, from the obvious ones to ones who quite simply were shocking. Only about 25% of those 130 talents have been taken in all three pools, and only five were consensus first-round picks—Kevin Owens, Adam Cole, Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, and Okada— As I've said, I'll do some more in-depth analysis and breakdowns on a future podcast, but I hope you're having a ball, and if you missed the boat on NAI Draft 2.0, don't worry. We'll be doing another one this winter, and next time, we're going to have a lot more coverage. Ranking lists, cheat sheets, tips and tricks. We'll have you covered, Neighborhood. All right, last week after Neighborhood 4, I took to the Twitter and asked for suggestions for topics leading up to Neighborhood Episode 5. I got one response, which, truthfully, is about one more response than I expected, so I'm grateful I got the one. Unfortunately, I can't remember who gave me the response. I don't remember. It might have been Willie. It might have been NXT Fan 916. Whoever it was, if you asked me to talk about the state of the NXT Tag Team Division, make sure you yell at me about it on Twitter so I can give you the proper credit you deserve. NXT Tag Team Division. In recent weeks, there seems to be a explosion of tag teams in NXT, which is good because it was getting pretty thin there for a while. In fact, the tag team division in NXT is now almost two stacked because I've talked about this before. NXT doesn't have that mid-level of single stars that I think it needs to be able to keep up with the other promotions. Once Owens and Balor and Joe head to WWE, Who's going to be wrestling in these important matches in NXT? Besides, of course, Tyler Breeze. This poor guy's never getting to the main roster. The champions, Blake and Murphy, seemed like a very random pairing from the beginning. They're growing on me. Kind of. I still can't say what their gimmick or character is, really. They have a valet, and they have an introduction that probably inspires epilepsy in a lot of people. But outside of that, what's their deal? I've been high on Buddy Murphy since last year. He was one of the ones I wrote was going to have a great 2015. But it's actually Wesley Blake that I think has done the most growth and development since being part of the BAMF, the Blake-Alexa-Murphy factor. Here's the thing, though, and this is probably the nerd in me coming out. If you're going to name yourself BAMF, you better be able to teleport. I don't see these guys being long-term champions. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict they lose the title at the next TakeOver. I'll be interested to see how they continue to develop now that Alexa Bliss is part of their group. Could they become something like The Kingdom? That's an interesting thought. Maybe they could. Let's move on from a team that has questionable main roster potential to one that's almost limitless in terms of their WWE future. Enzo and Cass. They're not great wrestlers. I get that. But based on what we talked about with announcing, that's probably not a bad thing. I don't know that the technically sound wrestlers are really the ones that are going to have a lot of success in WWE in the coming years. They're going to be focused on the ones who can tell a story and are good on the mic. And that's what Enzo Amore and Cass are. The WWE tag team division is ripe for the picking right now. And Enzo and Cass could be the standard bearers for the next five to ten years especially if they had a perfect counterpoint team to play off of. Which brings me to the vaudevillains. I was in a dark, dark, sad place with their absence over the last couple of months, which makes their return and their quick ascension Hey, do you remember the ascension? Their ascension to the title picture all the sweeter. These guys in Enzo and Cass just scream like natural rivals almost in the same way as Rollins and Ambrose or Owens and Zane. I don't care what anybody says. The vaudevillain gimmick can work in WWE, provided it gets the time and the opportunity to make the natural tweaks that any talent makes when it gets to the WWE roster. The Dudley boys began their WWE gimmick by stuttering and in tie-dye. And that was an odd thing to see in WWE at first. But over time, they became one of the best duos in WWE history. It could happen again. And before you get all crazy yelling at me on Twitter, I'm not saying the Vaudevillains are the next Dudley Boys. They're obviously not. All I'm saying is that gimmick can work if you give it some time. I love the Vaudevillains. I don't think anyone would deny that. But oddly, they're not my favorite tag team in NXT right now. That honor goes to the very recently formed team of Jason Jordan and Chad Gable. In the inaugural NAI draft, which was Adam, DJ, and I this winter, I drafted Chad Gable. And had it not been for that pestering Adam, I would have grabbed Jason Jordan as well. Despite everything I've said about the potential future of professional wrestling, it is my firm belief that the more solid your amateur background, the better a pro wrestler you'll be and Jordan and Gable have grappling chops to spare. They also happen to be a near-picture-perfect pairing. The segments they've been having in NXT remind me of the great backstage silliness we saw in the Ruthless Aggression era. If you loved Kurt Angle and Steve Austin, if you loved Booker T and Goldust, Chad Gable and Jason Jordan are right up your alley. I've said it before and I'll say it again. These guys will be tag team champions before 2015 is over. We've got some serious potential with these two. Another team that has a lot of potential is the Mechanics, and I don't think they've ever called themselves that, but that's what I've seen online, the duo of Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson. I had a mini markout moment when the announcers on NXT mentioned the similarities between this duo and the great Anderson teams of the 70s and 80s. They are definitely a throwback. Much like the Andersons, though, this team seems to need a voice. Though, to be honest, I don't think I've ever heard Dash Wilder or Scott Dawson speak, so maybe they're great and I just don't know it. The obvious choice, in my mind, would be Jamie Noble. His trailer park gimmick from a decade or so ago would fit right in with these two. Since that's, to quote Gorilla Monsoon, highly unlikely... Another possible choice would be everyone's favorite snack fan, Bull Dempsey. Before he became a gimmick based purely around wanting to eat, Dempsey was a throwback, just like Dawson and Wilder. And as he's shown the last few weeks, he can talk. Imagine a stable called The Throwbacks. Bull Dempsey, Scott Dawson, Dash Wilder, and just for fun, Curtis Axel. That's a team, and a stable, that I'd be proud to cheer for. I should mention Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton, although, while they're technically a team, they haven't done anything but lose. So I'm going to hold off judgment on them, except to say one thing. Shoot. Nation. <sighs> Which brings us, sadly, to the hype bros, Zack Ryder and Mojo Raleigh, and I'm going to sigh one more time. Do I really have to talk about these two? I don't want to. I like Ryder fine and all, but... oh God. Come on. The really sad thing, the thing that bothers me the most, is that these two could work as a tag team. This is classic ECW-style booking. Accentuate the strengths and hide the weaknesses. We get all of the hype of Mojo Rawley without having to acknowledge the fact that he's a lousy wrestler, this could work. I hate it. I hate it. Oh God, I can feel it. He's coming. I can't control him when he gets like this, so there's no stopping him. It's time for Heal DC. Steve Austin is a whiner. For someone who claims to be the toughest SOB in the world, he certainly acts like one of my students who gets tagged out in a game of kickball. First, he kicks the dirt and pouts. Then he goes to the authority figures and tries to cause trouble that way. And if all else fails, he just takes his ball and goes home. Steve Austin should take a lesson from some guys he's obviously had an influence on, the Briscoe brothers, and man up. Where in the world is Luke Harper? He's one of the most athletic big men I can remember seeing in quite some time. Why is he not on Raw each and every week? I don't care if he wrestled Cesaro in what all reports say was an awesome match on main event. Nobody watches main event. Why can't WWE recognize talent when it's right in front of their faces? At this point, can we even call it world wrestling entertainment anymore? In order to get my wrestling fix, I watch Ring of Honor, and if not that, I watch the WWE Network. Speaking of the Network, what is the holdup on WWE putting their entire library up? Are they waiting for a rainy day or something? Are they going to charge more for a premium membership, which I've suggested over and over again? Some people, like me, have the compulsion to watch things in chronological order, and we get agitated when there are gaps in our timeline. I want all the Raws, I want all the Nitros, I want all the ECW TVs. I've spent my nine ninety nine. Make it worth it. And finally, use the dang hashtags, Draft People. I don't know about you, but I feel a whole lot better. All right, we've got two brand new segments to wrap up the show here on the Neighborhood Podcast, and both are history or nostalgia-based. That's nai nostalgia. The first is where we take a look at the week ahead and see what happened on this date in wrestling history. I'm not going to cover the pay-per-views. There's plenty of Twitter accounts where they'll show you what pay-per-view happened on which date in which year. So we'll focus on the wrestlers themselves. Get ready to wish some of your favorite stars from yesteryear a happy birthday. Today's Sunday, July 12th. Well, Technically, it's not. But when you hear this, it'll be Sunday, July 12th. And the only wrestler of note that had a birthday on July 12th is Shane slash Gregory slash Hurricane Helms, who will be 41 this year. I didn't get three count in their WCW days. I was enough of a teenager to be anti-boy band at that time. But there's no doubt that Mr. Helms is an excellent pro wrestler, and that Hurricane gimmick was phenomenal. No, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he's definitely someone who made the most out of that gimmick. And I enjoyed it very much, especially when he was paired with The Rock. Remember when he would fly away and The Rock would pull out those great acting chops and make it look like he just soared into the sky? Comic gold right there. Monday, July 13th, the only birthday of note is Sean Six Pac slash X Pac slash The Lightning Kid slash The One Two Three Kid Waltman, who will be forty-three. Now, I'm not a big Sean Waltman fan. He's got a litany of problems, but I will say this: I remember watching his match with Razor Ramon on Monday Night Raw in 1993. It was the first time I remember seeing any sort of upset in pro wrestling. You knew Razor Ramon was going to win. You knew Razor Ramon was going to wipe the floor with this baby-faced, mulleted, just 100-pound-soaking guy. And then he pulls off a moonsault. Might have been the first time I'd ever seen that. And pins Razor Ramon. I remember my jaw hitting the floor during that moment. July 14th. Only birthday of note is Bubba Ray Dudley, who will be 44 years old. I love Bubba Ray. I wish he had, I wish he gets a, another shot in WWE. I think he could have another singles run and another tag team run. Uh I was disappointed with his performance in the Royal Rumble. I don't blame him, of course, but I thought that would have been the great time to add another great character to WWE. And I worry that we've missed the boat on that. July 15th. Oh, we have a bunch of birthdays. Heath Slater will be 32 years old, Blue Demon Jr. will be 49, Jesse the Body Ventura will be 64, and Mexican superstar Mil Mascaras will be 73. Not a whole lot to say about this group. I do wish Keith Slater would get some sort of chance in probably NXT. I don't think he's a WWE guy, but he could do some things in NXT, Blue Demon Jr., the only time I've ever seen him wrestle, to the best of my knowledge, is in Lucha Underground, and I've only seen him wrestle maybe two or three times. Jesse Ventura, he's been on commentary during these 1993 WCW pay-per-views that I've been watching. He can be entertaining, annoying, but entertaining. And the only thing I remember about Mil Mascaras was he was in Aurora Rumble one year, and I don't know if they just didn't tell him the rules or if this was the plan, But he came in, and at one point, so there were wrestlers on the outside, he climbed to the top turnbuckle and dove out on them, thereby eliminating himself. Now, my memory's fuzzy whether or not he tried to roll back in the ring and wrestle. It seemed like it was one of those he didn't quite get it moments, but that's the only thing I remember about Mil Moscaras. July sixteenth. Oh, my goodness. We've got one, two, three, four, five birthdays. Let's go. Mike Knox, formerly of... A rather unimpressive run in WWE will be 37. Bobby Lashley will be 39. Is he still wrestling in TNA? Does anyone even still watch TNA? Daphne, the Scream Queen herself, will be 40. Chris Chetty, for those of you who don't know who that is, he is Taz's cousin who wrestled in ECW in the late 90s. He did a, I believe it was a triple jump moonsault that was kind of cool. He'll be 41. One of my favorite referees of all time, Randy Pee-Wee Anderson, will be 56. And unfortunately, it was on July 16th that Terry Gordy, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, passed away back in 2001. Now, I didn't know who Terry Gordy was growing up. The only time I remember seeing him was I had and still have over in my pile, uh, uh, I believe it was the 1992 Pro Wrestling Illustrated year-end awards in which Steve Williams and Terry Gordy won the tag team of the year. Now that I've been watching the WCW pay-per-views, not only have I seen Terry Gordy as part of the Freebirds, but also in 1992 as part of this great tag team with Steve Williams. He's the type of guy I would have loved as a kid. Big, burly in your face, would rather punch you in the face than talk to you, and also tended to break out the STF submission hold. So it's sad that Terry Gordy passed away in 2001. Which brings us to July 17th. That will be Saturday for those keeping track at home. Oh, God, I have to talk about him again. Mojo Rawley will be 29 years old. The Great Sasuke will be 46. For those who don't know who the Great Sasuke is, he was a, a Japanese wrestler. Um, He wrestled in WWE for WWF, actually, in the late 90s when Takamishinoku came over, that kind of Japan influence. He also, if memory serves, was elected to Japanese parliament or politics and wore his mask while being a politician, which I think is cool. So he's 46 years old. And another sad story to report, July 17th, 1988, Bruiser Brody, one of the all-time greats, was killed down, I believe, in Puerto Rico. I'm not going to go too much into the story of Bruiser Brody. That would be something I hope that Magnum or Pit Dog talks about at some point. Um, But he was stabbed by perhaps another wrestler. Perhaps it was on orders of Carlos Colon, the promoter at the time. But definitely one of the all-time greats lost to us in 1988. Well, that was depressing. I might not need to do the deaths in the future. Let me know if I should skip that part if you're all crying right now. All right, it is time for our final segment today. Despite the fact that this is nine pages, I write out a script and outline because as the boys said, I'm just one person talking to myself. So I write out a script so I know what I'm going to say. And it was nine pages long, but here we are only around the 35 minute mark. So we're going to have a shorter neighborhood podcast this week. So for our final segment today, you can take the teacher out of the classroom but he'll still give you homework. Time to make some recommendations on what you should be watching over the next seven days. So I'm watching the WCW pay-per-views. I'm finally caught up enough on Ring of Honor and Lucha Underground that I can actually watch them, WWE Network. And I found myself watching Slamboree 1993. This is not a great show, especially for someone who was not watching wrestling in the 70s or the 80s. Maybe Magnum or Keith the Pit Dog, You can follow them on Twitter at whatever their Twitter addresses are, MagnumNAI and PitDogK13. Did I get that right? They probably have a better appreciation for this card than I do. But let me set the stage a little bit. In the spring of 1993, the WWF announces that they're going to create a Hall of Fame, and Andre the Giant is their inaugural member. Yes, friends, there was a time when only one person got inducted into the Hall of Fame that year. WCW, hot on their heels, created their own Hall of Fame as well. And they inducted Stu Hart, oddly enough, considering most of his kids were wrestling in WWF at the time, among other people. And not only did they have a Hall of Fame ceremony, they also decided to have a pay-per-view based purely around nostalgia, Slamboree 93, a Legends reunion. Now, in this card, many of the legends competed in actual matches, which made it difficult for me to get through. This is one of those pay-per-views. I have some pay-per-views I get through in a day. I have some pay-per-views I get through in a week or two weeks because it's just very hard to get into watching it. And this, unfortunately, was one of those times. Jimmy Snooker wrestled, Don Morocco, Nick Bockwinkle, Dory Funk Jr., all probably in their 40s or 50s at the time. And I couldn't help asking myself as I'm watching it, is this what WrestleMania is going to be like from now on? The reports vary, but the general idea is we're going to see a lot of legends, using my famous air quotes, we're going to see a lot of legends at WrestleMania 32. And while The Rock and Triple H are not Dory Funk or Baron Von Rashke or Ivan Koloff, who might have been 60 at the time Slamber 93 was, we are going to see some wrestlers who are without question past their prime competing. I worry about what that's gonna mean if WrestleMania is now just gonna become a nostalgia show. However, as I said, Slambury ninety three wasn't all legends matches, and one of the matches in particular is this week's homework assignment. Get onto the WWE network, go find Slambury ninety three, and watch Big Van Vader versus the British Bulldog. In case you didn't know, the British Bulldog spent some time in WCW in the early 90s. This is after his amazing Intercontinental title match with Bret Hart in Wembley Stadium, SummerSlam 1992, and this is before he came back to WWF and teamed with Lex Luger in the Allied Powers in 1995. This match was much, much better than I expected it to be. It's rare that you see a big guy like Vader matched up against a huge powerhouse like the British Bulldog. And if you go back and watch, you'll see that he was a huge powerhouse. And this resulted in Davy Boy Smith pretty much manhandling Vader for a good portion of this match. He got him up for the stalling suplex. He was throwing him around the ring. I don't remember ever seeing Vader treated that way in a wrestling match before. It was pretty cool. If you're looking for extra credit, and who doesn't like extra credit, head to the following event after Slambury 93. You're looking for Clash of the Champions 23, also from 93. I think it's the June one. I can't remember. I do think it's, it was June of 93 was Clash of the Champions 23. And you're going to be looking for the two out of three falls match for the tag team championships. The champions, the Hollywood Blondes, Flying Brian Pillman, and Stunning Steve Austin, Versus Arn Anderson and making his return to WCW after wrestling in WWF, including the Royal Rumble, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Another excellent match between four all-time greats. Really, you just need to watch the first five, ten minutes or so. Arn Anderson is a tremendous baby face wrestler. You wouldn't think so because he spent most of his time working as a heel, but he was great. Ric Flair was great. Austin and Pillman were great. I might not like Steve Austin right now. He might bother me right now, but you can't deny he was a fantastic wrestler. This was a match worth watching. So that's your extra credit assignment for this week. All right. That's it. We're done. We're out of here. The bell has rung and class is dismissed. Thanks for tuning into the Neighborhood Podcast. Send me your questions, your thoughts, and your NAI draft complaints at DC Matthews NAI, and I will see you around the neighborhood.